Welcome everybody to Simon Says, uh, another uh, event in our podcast, video cast that we've been doing over the last few months. Um, really appreciative of these two legends uh, in Australia and Victoria. We've got the great, I would say, a former Australian cricketer and media personality. Um, <laughs> and the, the great and wondrous ex-VFA champion and politician, Phil Clary. Welcome to both of you. Simon, thank you. Well, look, uh, firstly, how are you... Co- we're all in Victoria, so we understand. How are you coping with the COVID situation? Well, uh, I've I got to say, um, being, being a cricketer, you get used to days like this. It's just a batting day. Every day is a batting day. So Mark Taylor, Jeff Marsh go out. They bat for the first session, and then AB and Steve Waugh get a few runs, and... Uh, come six, seven o'clock, I've, I've done nothing. And that's pretty much what I'm doing every day of lockdown. So I'm, I'm feeling quite comfortable and relaxed, to be honest. So it feels like it's a good test, mate. You've been yes, batting for a, a long day. time. <laughs> well, on the artistic side, it's taught me about Netflix. So I've been watching the films with the beloved partner, Christine. So she's introduced me to a whole lot of Netflix stuff and I've caught up with some fantastic series, The Bureau, a French, a French spy thriller. But also Merv would be excited to know that, of course, it's taken me to the highlights on Fox, which is lots of cricket from the <laughs> 80s. And I'm watching Merv Hughes and I was looking at Merv, Simon, and I thought, look at that body when he first started playing big and strong, and it just got a little bit wider and wider <laughs> as that journey went on. But he was in good form in those old games. Mate, I, I look, to be honest, I, mean, I look back at those days, I've seen a little bit on Foxtel, and I must admit, it's good watching those like 70s, 80s football, and yeah. um, the, the 80s, 90s cricket for me. But I look back at that and think I was pretty in, in pretty good nick in those days, and I was, oh, I was still being abused for being fat. Yeah, well, I was. I looked at when I saw that first bit. I don't know. Was it about eighty? What, what year would I be? Looking oh, it would at? be late eighties. Yeah, you were in great nick, big and strong, you know. And I thought, gee, all these people saying that Merv was wide around the girth. I never look at the size of him. There, he's a bloody Amazon, you know. <laughs> but I, mate, I, lo- I love the sh- I love the shots of you uh, in the outfield when you're having a rest and. And bending and stretching, and you've got the whole crowd. It's like an aerobics lesson. The whole crowd's going with you. Oh, yeah, no, the, the MCG, to, to play at the MCG, uh, Boxing Day or, or the Day Nighters, and when, when I was playing, didn't play too many Day Nighters, but to play at the MCG, um, 80,000, 90,000 people, yeah. um, to be a Victorian in the Australian side, the support that we got was yeah. just overwhelming. Um, yeah. So, Guys, if you're in Bay 13, if you're at the MCG watching the cricket in those days, thank you very much because I tell you what, if you had half as much fun as we had on the ground, it, it was a good time. Yeah, and look, I've been lucky enough to be in the MCG with a big crowd and it is, the atmosphere is fantastic and uh, you just imagine, uh, be interested to see a grand final in, in, uh, in uh, Queensland, whether they can have the same atmosphere or not this year, but it was great. And talking of atmosphere, I want to go back now, Phil, the halcyon days of the VFA. So you've played in a prem- played in a premiership, coached in two, but in one game, did you actually play against Merv? Look at Merv, Merv's stuck in a week. I've got a nervous twitch. <laughs> <laughs> playing against Kodak. Well, 
I, I, I bumped into Merv one time and he was telling me that we played against each other and, and he was, of course, gilding the lily about how I knocked him over with a, a shirt front and I thought, geez, that's not bad. I'm about 176. I don't know, Merv's about a 6'2 or 3'er, aren't you? What are you? 6'4", oh, six, six, eh? Yeah. And yeah, I but you'd expect the ball to be in the vicinity, though, Simon, wouldn't you? Well, <laughs> apparently. apparently. And, I, and to be honest, that was in the car park before the game. Uh, <laughs> well, it's, funny, it's funny, Simon, because, you know, I weighed quite... I was, I was super fit. I did really mm. train hard, and I was... I, I weighed a bit heavier than other blokes, thicker boned or something, even without having any fat on me, and I was quick over 20 metres... And one of the dangerous things was I could actually, you know, the old game where you could shirt front. Yes. And I did. I, in the 1982 prelim at the Junction Oval, I hit Peter Wilkinson, a former, a port player. He'd come from Hawthorne, fed income. I hit him with the biggest shirt front. I, I just about destroyed him, but he got up. And it's funny, I've got a couple of sons who do footy now, and my younger boy is 22, and he's actually signed up at Coburg. He looked at it and he said, you know what, Dad? You'd get six weeks for that today. <laughs> <laughs> Mate, it was a different era then, and as rough and tumble as uh, the BFL was back in those days, the BFA had oh. nothing on the BFA. Oh. Um, the BFA wasn't for the faint hard enough. I reckon a, a lot of the um, BFL boys used to get down on a Sunday Yes. Um, and whether it was the Footscray boys watching uh, Williamstown or whether it was you, Essendon guys watching Coburg or Brunswick or whatever, gee, there was some, oh, like, there was some real rivalries back there in the, the old VFA, wasn't there, Phil? Well, can I tell you, Simon, some of your mates, Ronnie Andrews, Ronnie and the boys would turn up at Coburg on a Sunday. So they play on a Saturday, turn up on a Sunday. And Ronnie had come into the rooms after the game with the car fridge, which was well and truly empty, Merv. And it would go to the back of the wall. And, and he would be still drinking. And he would drink all day and all night. Oh, and he was so funny, Ronnie. And he was a terrific bloke to talk to. And I remember he came up to me. He was very nice to me. And he said, you're pretty tough, you know. And I thought, <laughs> Ronnie Andrews telling me that, Simon? I was very impressed. And, and Simon... No one had to tell Phil he was pretty tough. Yeah, don't worry about it. He that. knew it and everyone in the VFA knew it. <laughs> well, I was going to say, mate, he reckons you're a bit tall, but it's amazing how he gets that elbow up, isn't it? He oh, he, yeah. One of those ones, like a backstroke. He sort of did yeah, that. Well, you're never worried about your face. You're just worried about your ribs. <laughs> it was, uh, oh, well, you know, mate, look, to put things in perspective too, Phil, like I was only a pup back then and and you were, you were a senior player and had a, a real name around and a real presence around the VFA. Which you still do. Yeah. 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 What year did you play, Merv? Well, I, I started at Werribee in 78 yeah. and we were in second division. So yes. um, by the time I got the first division, you'd finished playing. But the, the game that I talk about was a lightning premiership at the Junction ah, Oval. That's right. 1978, was it? 78. That's right. We missed the finals by a game and we yeah. played in that lightning premiership. And I thought that was right. You were playing, you were on, how old were you? Um, at that stage, I reckon I was 17, 18. And I yeah. was like 10 years older. I was yeah. about 20, I was, I was going on 20, 26 at the end of that year. 
Yeah. Yeah. Now, Merv, you got that big booming voice and getting excited. Just, just hold back oh. that mic a little bit. Thank you. Sorry, I, I do, I do apologise. Sorry, well, mate. It's a great voice. I love the voice. <laughs> it, it, match, it matches the moustache. Don't worry, yeah. about that. it's magnificent. So, um, now just, just on that, Merv. So you, you're, you're playing high level football at a young age, and then cricket takes over. Now, what, what happened? Um, well, it was back in the days of the, the zoning and. Um, all the guys of our age know what the zone is as opposed to the draft. So where you lived, um, yes. tied you to a club. And living down at Werribee, um, playing at Werribee, I was, I was tied to Geelong and got invited down to, to play or to train with Geelong. I uh, went down there and trained. Um, and then that was just before Christmas, just after Christmas, I got selected in the Victorian cricket side. Um, so I stopped, stopped the training down at Geelong. Yes. Um, I had a talk to them and they said they were going to give us a call at the end of the season, at the end of the cricket season. And um, I'm still waiting for that phone call, Simon. <laughs> that was a, a while ago. But I've run into Billy Goggin a, a couple of times since and he just said, mate, it's, it was a good decision um, to, to go to cricket. So obviously he didn't feel that I was, I was going to make it as a footballer. <laughs> but um, yeah, to have, have the opportunity and probably at, a, at that age, football was was. My, my number one sport because I was I was playing in the BFA, um, looking to to go to what was in the BFL, um, and it was at that time too that Victorian cricket started picking young guys that were probably in that position. So yeah. um, I, I got selected. Simon O'Donnell, Jamie Siddons had played for for Sydney Swans. Um, there was Tony Dottermaid and, and Damien Fleming a little bit later and, and also Shane Warne that were very good footballers that probably had a choice to make. Um, and by by getting selected to play for Victoria, they virtually make the choice for you. Yeah. Now, and you, um, so for you, Phil, how did it start for you? Like just through the ranks and into COVID? Well, it's, it's funny, Simon, that Merv's telling that story. I played, because uh, I had a touch of the VFL, the AFL, VFL AX, experience also. I played local footy and you know, I, I, I was doing okay and did a lot of good stuff in local footy and then I went to the amateurs. When I was at uni, I, I played at Coburg Amateurs and I played in the state rep side with the amateurs. I was going to go to Coburg but they got relegated so I stayed another year at the amateurs and then I went to Coburg in 1975 yeah, and that right. was, we were coached by John Dugdale, you know, the legendary yes. North Melbourne player. <laughs> but anyway, I kicked about 50 goals in 76 and I got an invite to Carlton and I went and played in Carlton's practice games in 1977. But they, you, I don't know whether you remember this, but there was a lot of dispute. They were coached by a bloke, Thorogood, um, was it, at the time? Yes. There was a big blue going on over contracts and Jezelenko and co were talking about being in dispute, Trevor Keogh. Anyway, I played in an intra-club practice game, Jezelenko, they all played. I kicked three goals to half time on Alan Mangles. Do you remember Alan? Yes. Anyway, I've got three goals to half time. You love this, Merv. I'm in the shower that week uh, and I'm I'm having a shower alongside Robert Walls and Bruce Duell. And Bruce (laughs) says, gee, Phil, you're going well. He said, they tell me this week you'll be playing on Gary Wilson in the middle against Fitzroy. And I went, you know, Merv, I'm thinking, wow, I'm on the way. Anyway, I got a phone call two days later from a a Carlton official saying, oh, look, Phil, we we don't want to keep you. We're going to sell you to Essendon. And I went, 
seriously. So I just went back to Coburg. They recruited Peter Bedford, who was finished, really, and I didn't go to Essendon. I went back to Car to Coburg. So that was my little uh, my little oh. taste of greatness, Simon. Phil, Phil, we could have played together. I never. Yes, I know. <laughs> <laughs> the days without I could, managers. I, could, I don't know whether I was good enough, but it was interesting anyway. Mate, I could it was have a good moment. Mate, I could have made you look sensational. Come yeah, on. you would have. <laughs> <laughs> now, oh, don't, yeah. don't worry about that, Simon. If you, you had had Phil in this side, you would have been walking a bit taller too. Yeah, I know, don't worry. I know you had Ronnie Andrews at centre half back and things like that, but well, in the centre bounce, nothing to fear. No, we had a bloke come to Coburg too, Simon. You would you, you would have played with Ken Mansfield. Oh you? yeah, Kenny. Yeah, yeah he man. was. He had a nasty streak, didn't he? Uh, he's a lovely, he's a lovely bloke, but he had a nasty streak oh, on the gee, field. Don't worry. I coached him, and he was a very difficult person to coach, and he could be very nasty on a football field. And the funny thing was, I'll tell you this: he had a bit of a hair transplant. Not that Merv and I are struggling with that. <laughs> He used to have a lot of hair, but he had a hair transplant. And you know what, Murphy played in a game and a bloke called Hughes from Williamstown pulled some of the hair out. Oh, no. <laughs> was, sorry, uh, Mance was so pissed off, he said, that hair cost me a thousand dollars. thousand dollars worth of hair and you pulled it out. Very funny. Now, I'll tell you another bloke that I did come across that, that you played with at Coburg. He came to Werribee. Nicest, oh. quietest bloke. Off the oh, ground, yes. and that white line for Trevor Price. Oh. Now, wasn't he a lovely bloke? Good footballer, oh. and and talk about white line fever. Ah, oh, he he was absolutely scary. Uh, uh, you know, uh, at social events, his wife Cheryl would just walk in and say, uh, towards the you know after a few hours, Trevor, time to go home. Okay, Cheryl, and off <laughs> he'd go. <laughs> off he'd go. You put him out on the field, Simon. Oh, God almighty, the yeah. damage he did. And I shouldn't romanticise it because some no. of it was, wow. No, no, but, it, but, it, but it's a different era. Like I said, it's a different era. I always remember the one where uh, in the grand final, Ablett runs into Dipper and breaks Dipper's ribs and sends him to yes. hospital. Punches like, and it's a free kick. Now yes. that's six weeks. It was, oh, a, yeah. it was a different era. It was a completely different era. Yeah. So and, it, and I don't I, think we're romanticising it. I think we're just telling it as it was. Yeah, and I think we could be, you know, if we do get serious about it, like Trevor was, Trevor was not scared. Like Trevor would put his head down. Yes. He was, he was genuinely courageous, but he did have a particular streak. But you know, I think we could all admit that you played. I played in games and against blokes who king hit other blokes, and oh, I would yeah. call them cowards. I'm not going to name them, but I know some of them. And, and some people sort of thought they were courageous and nah, memorised yeah, them. Nah, and I thought, nah, that nah, piss off, you're no good. No, yeah. as, as you said, mate, when head over the ball, they were the courageous ones, mate. You could see yeah. that rapidly. Yeah. And that, that was pricey to a T, is that if someone was running at him, he wouldn't shirk it. No. But if he, was, if he was running at someone, he wouldn't pull up either. <laughs> Last he bit was... of the story, Smurf. Didn't he jump the fence at wherever he... You might uh, at So he was the first... So he was the first bloke to be sent off in a BFA game when they brought in the send-off rule. Yep. And it was a first or second game at Williamstown. Oh, and right. walking around the boundary, a couple of blokes in the crowd had a cracker. He just jumped the fence and got into them too. They, they scattered <laughs> but, like pigeons. Oh, but love the nicest bloke off the ground of, of all time. Just amazing, wasn't he? 
Uh, it was, and when at your training night, Simon, you'd have those, you know, those drills where you'd be in numbers and you might be, it would be three versus four, five versus six. If you were three and Pricey was called as four, Mervyn, it was a tackling drill, you'd jump the fence. <laughs> <laughs> well, now, just Phil, just on that, just on that send-off rule, is it, is it true that in 86 grand final, uh, you were sent off? Mm. And of course you lost. And then at the tribunal, they found you're not guilty. How does that work? It was the most amazing moment. That was umpire Chapman was the head of the umpires. Uh, the umpire who sent me off, Jeff Ryan, panicked. There was a little skirmish with Terry Wheeler on the boundary. You know, it's 20,000 people. So it's a full house at the junction, you know, famous for cricket these days, the junction. Big TV audience. You know, I was 33 going on 34. Um, but I was going all right and I was sort of significant to the team as the leader and I got ordered off and we were three points down and Williamstown kicked like nine goals. I mean, not, not saying, oh, I went off, that was the difference. It was just the, the adrenaline rush that went with Williamstown and the emotional of the moment. Shocking decision. When the tribunal chairman looked at it, he just said, no, no, um, nothing, okay. no case to answer. I was accused of kneeing uh, Rick Sleverson in the groin, and that was the only. It was so ridiculous when you look at the vision. Didn't happen. And Simon, just to just to jump in. Sorry to cut you off, but no. that's that's what guys talk about now with the the AFL and Grand Final Day and and whatever. Um, the send off rule can be a very dangerous one because if you send a bloke off that then goes to the tribunal and gets yeah. found not guilty there's another mistake the umpires have made. So yeah. I, people people put in there, jumping up and down, saying there should be a send-off rule, there should be a send-off rule. Mate, the tribunal handles it, and, and football this day and age doesn't yes. doesn't need a, a send-off rule. And I, th I think I think you're exactly right. And there's so, much, there's so much regulation of it now. And as we talked about, things that were a free kick years ago are, are now as seen as, you know, four, four to six weeks. We can, yeah. I think you're right. I think you don't need this. It's, it's, especially at the highest level, it's so regulated, you don't need it. And um, well, just on, just on those type of things, you talk about old days. Now, Merv, some of, I know some of the things are said on the footy field. You couldn't, <laughs> back then, you can't say that. What about on the cricket field? I mean... You know, I always like the blokes who could have a re have a really funny line at you without abusing yeah. you, but just put you right off your game. I mean, there there must be stuff that you oh you know, happened in the, your days. Yeah, well, it's no no doubt about it. with with football, you go out and you can physically intimidate the opposition. And um, in the old VFA days, you knew who was going to put their head over the ball and who wasn't. And and the same with the AFL these days, the guys know who are a little bit weak and they they just tend to run at them. Um, with cricket, you can't do that. With cricket, it's all verbal. And call it sledging, call it what you want. For as long as I've been involved with the Australian cricket team, it was verbal in intimidation. Is that if we we used to have a, a team meeting, uh, talk about um, the game plan, talking about the strengths and weaknesses of the other side, and then we'd talk about who was a little bit mentally weak and may may succumb to a little bit of chat. So when you see four or five Australians going at um, a player in a test match that that's spoken about that's yeah, that's I'm not good. that's not spur of the moment that's a planned thing to try and disrupt the opposition with with the verbal stuff um, basically it's it's a distraction yeah, so right. if if I'm playing against you and you're more worried about what I'm saying than what you're doing then I've had a win yes 
So yeah, so it was a lot of lot of bluff and bullshit, but a lot of fun along the way. Uh, no, don't get me wrong. And, but even even that's changed now. Like the the send off virtually in my day was to let a batsman know that you've got him out, and every time he comes back, he's going to have he's going to cop it. Yes. And now the send off, you you can't do anything. Uh, again, you get you get fined, you get suspended, and you just think, mate, it's part of the game. And people people want to see that passion, and people want to see that grit, and people want to see, um, I, I suppose, that competitive nature. They, they, I, I don't want to go and watch a boring game. I want to go and see a bloke um, put it all on the line. And and if there's a bit of verbal stuff, if there's a bit of a stash, happy days. Just so long as it doesn't go overboard. Yeah, and that's and that's right. And I, you know, I just like the blokes who can get in your head. And it doesn't. I mean, there used to be abuse, and we, we yeah. understand we don't need that. But the smart blokes can really get in your head without abusing it. Yeah. Well, the, the big thing I've, I learned too, I reckon about grade two was sticks and stones. Yes. What people say can't hurt you. So if, if you're if you're thinking, oh, I'm getting upset by what he's saying, you give yourself an uppercut. <laughs> what people say can't hurt you. What what you do. Um, and what other people do, that, that can, especially on a footy ground. Um, but a, a cricket field, I've always said it, that the greatest sledge is the one that totally humiliates the opposition and makes your teammates laugh. Yes. If you can do that, well, you've, you've had a win. You, can I tell you one, Simon? You know, Brock McLean? Yes. Brock McLean's father played yes. with Werribee, Merv. Yes. We were playing one game and we were having a little skirmish. And if I gave you the sanitised version of what he said, it would go something like, <laughs> I've had sex with tougher women than you, Phil Cleary. <laughs> That's the sanitised version. But, you know, I've effed tougher yeah, yeah. women. And I remember thinking that would have to have been one of the most amusing, it's probably sexist these days, things yeah. that I've ever said. And would you believe it? I bumped into him at the footy, I reckon, how many years later? It's got to be 25 years later. And as I walked up to say hello to him, he started laughing and his wife, wife there was laughing as well. And they were laughing about the fact that we were about to talk about the comment that he made 25 <laughs> years earlier. And sure enough, he was. And he's, he's laughing. I said, what, I know what you're laughing about. Uh, I still remember saying that. Uh, yeah. well, that's, I still reckon that the, the great thing is, about the VFA, how tough and how rugged it was on the ground, there was always a beer in the room after oh, it. And yeah. you, you always caught up. And playing playing Coburg, playing Sunshine when they had Ricky McLean, um, oh. Tony Schroeder, um, like that, you, it'd be tough as nails on the ground. And you go in and they'd be the first person to, to have a beer with you. And you, Then you go to Yarraville. And as a young side going to Yarraville, you're just thinking... Mate, this all all you want to do was keep within ten goals to keep them interested, because as soon as they got ten goals in front, they just got bored and started punching it. And yeah. it, it <laughs> Johnny, Johnny Sharp and those blokes at Yarraville, uh, it was all right for you, you old blokes that had a little bit of support. But spare a thought for a young young team going to Yarraville, and you just knew you're going to get beaten by twenty goals, and you're going to get the absolute crap punched out of you. Yeah, look, and I mean, that happened to me early days too. I'd be down at St Kilda, and and you'd be, you know, you'd be jumped on, <laughs> jumped on, spat on, elbowed, <laughs> kneed, you know, and then at the end you'd say, somebody'd say, come upstairs for a beer. Now oh, I can't, 
you hell, you come, that's when I got angry. You hell, you come upstairs yeah. for a beer. And you learned, yeah. and you learned that that was just part of the game. It wasn't personal. Yes. They, they do that every week to the opposition. So don't take it personally. It's just what we have to do. Well, but I reckon that's a big flaw in today's game is that a lot that, that's said and done on the ground is now taken personally. Yeah. Where like you sound like the old warrior, don't you? Back in our day. Back in our day. Back in our day. You said what you said. Um, you did what you did. And then as soon as that final siren went, you shook yeah. hands and you went and had a beer. Yeah, exactly yeah. right. Really interesting. Yeah, that's, it's so true. Those drink, the sessions afterwards, oh. remember that, that Caulfield had the bear cave. Yes. Enough, you, and, you know, move on a Sunday night, it was full of footballers from all over, the, all over Melbourne. All the AFL blokes had come down. And the O'Sullivan brothers. Yes. Gary and Shane O'Sullivan ran the bear, ran the bear cave. Oh. And it was magical. Uh, uh, just a quick one there. There's a great story about Tony Jewell, the legendary Richmond bloke. You know, he coached he coached Caulfield one year, and the story is he was so pissed off at the way they were playing. He walked away at half time and sat in his Jaguar, and the committee had committee head or chairman of secretary had to go and knock on the car window to try to get him out. And he said, "You can piss off. I'm not coaching him anymore." <laughs> well, you you talk about the the bear cave from yeah. a. A guy like from Werribee's point of view, when we used to play out that side, so whether it was Caulfield, Springvale, Oakley, or whatever, um, <laughs> the pub the pub that we used to jump into on the way home on Sunday night was Nickabellas. Oh, uh, yes. Like on was it on Dandenong Road out at Mulvert? Oh, yeah. Sunday nights there were just fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> Now, I, now I just want to get a little. I mean, it's all good fun, boys. It's great. Now, just a little, little bit of just a touch of seriousness. Um, opening, op, like I like to talk about leadership at different levels. So, Merv, opening bowling for Australia. How did you see that? And what what was what was your job apart from getting wickets? How did you make that happen? You know, as make it bigger than what it was. If yeah, well, probably probably there's people don't understand. There's this. I suppose suppose a food chain. So there's different runs. So yeah. you, well, when I first got in, um, I, I was very lucky to have Terry Alderman and Jeff Lawson there. Yes. So two senior players that um, used to hang off, off what they said, talking about length and talking about um, different batsmen and, and whatever. So to go from a young bloke learning to, uh, that was 89 series, to the 93 series, Craig and McDermott and myself um, were the yes. leading bowlers. And Craig McDermott went down with an injury um, so I think what you want to do is is be the top dog um, as a fast bowler. Um, and when Craig McDermott was in the team, and I played a lot of cricket with him, I was probably the end of the wind bowler and he was the top dog. So you do everything to support your teammates. And it's very similar to footy. And people don't understand it, that you have – your role may change from, from day to day, from game to game, even from session to session, yeah. is that – if Craig McDermott's having a good day, you're, you're just going to hold up an end. If he's having a bad day, then you, you've got to step up a bit. So you, your role changes, changes a little bit. But I was very lucky to play in the year I did with, as I said, with, with Alderman and Lawson early doors and then later with, with Craig McDermott and Bruce Reid. Um, and then when, when we had sort of Glenn McGrath coming in, um, and that's 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 probably the the time that I, I sort of exited the team. But um, to have those guys around, and then also to have the support from your captain and your coach, um, leadership in in any sport is very important. And 
the the really strong leadership that we had through Bob Simpson and Alan Border and Laurie Sewell as chairman of selectors. Um, that that was great. The the support, uh, the confidence that they gave you, um, and and the freedom, um, I suppose, to be yourself was was um, pivotal. That's great, mate. And Phil, you were your captain. So you played in the premiership and you coached. You captain coached for a while, but then actually coached in two premierships. So yeah. how did you see that? Well, it's interesting, isn't it? You know, I think we all look, we look at Merv and we, we appreciate here, and I'll flatter Merv, uh, uh, the presence Merv had on the field. Like yeah. there was a larrikin streak to Merv Hughes, but he had a presence which was like captaining. And there's a similarity in my own case. When I was first playing at Coburg, I was sort of goal kicking and we started to move up the ground more at the late 70s, playing more up the field. And of that exciting stuff down below, more team oriented. <clears throat> but I was a bit of a larrikin streak. I was not, a, not like a school captain. I was a bit of a recalcitrant. So to make the move to captain coaching was a bit distinctive. And I became captain coach when Coburg was broke in yeah. 1984. I'd been coached by Harold Mutton in 1982-3. Harold Martin was a legendary Preston player and coach, been a school teacher. He transformed me as a person in a lot of ways, gave me great confidence, and I, I became more of a leader after that. So I had to transform myself a bit, but I loved the role, and I loved... I, you know, the thing, what I love about football most is that 88-89 premiership. There's no yeah. question about that. And it was at your ground, Windy Hill, yeah. full house, against a great Williamstown side, coached by Terry Wheeler in 88 and Barry Round in 89. These were big events. Yeah. And also, it came the two years after the murder of my sister. Like, we yeah. lost Vicky in 87. We had a committal hearing in 88 and a shocking trial in 89 where a killer was found not guilty of murder under the old provocation law. I went from that to premiership coach and I admire the players. Before the game, I referred to Vicky. I evoked Vicky's memory to the players in front of Bob Hawke in 88. So that moment, I, I would have to say of my own life, that was a really distinctive moment of leadership, yes. I would have liked to think. And I admire the players for embracing it. So, you know, one of those magical moments, yeah. Fantastic, mate. And I was going, now, that's great. And I want to talk about that to your sister a little bit later uh, before we finish. Um, and Merv, Merv, you were, you know, the, 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 as you said, a presence on the field, which is fantastic. And your batting wasn't too bad at, at times, mate. I think your high score was 72 not out, if I, if I remember. That's not bad. Well... You remember a bloke by the name of Simon Davis that played for Victoria and Australia, and yes. um, he he once said that if a tail ender gets runs, it comes down to, to three factors: luck, a little bit more luck, and a lot more luck. <laughs> certainly, certainly not lucky on, on a few occasions, but but not often. But um, I suppose that's another thing that that Bob Simpson brought into the team too was that um, basically. I, I can sort of remember when I got into the Australian side, I don't reckon I'd batted in the nets for either Victoria or Footscray seriously for, I reckon, maybe two years. Yeah. So you just didn't bat. As bowlers, you didn't bat. We had Keith Stackpole um, at Victoria that's saying you don't waste good light on, on tail enders. Yeah. So if it's light, <laughs> the batsman bat. No, I said to him one day, what happens if we're chasing 270 in the fourth innings of the game and we're seven for 260? 
and we haven't had a bat. He said, well, the batsmen haven't made enough runs, have they? That's not your fault. <laughs> so that was a philosophy back then um, with the Victoria. With, with the Australian side, when Bob Simpson came in, it was bring as much as you can to the table. So my first test match, I remember Bob Simpson saying to me, um, put the pads on, have a hit. And I said, no, no, I'm right. And he looked at me and said, what? I said, no, no, I'm, I'm fine. I'll, I'll keep bowling. He said, well, put your pads on and run laps for 20 minutes. I said, why? He said, well, that's how long I want you to bat for. So your choice, one or the other. I'll have a bat, please. <laughs> so he just, just started batting again. And, and his mantra for the tail was, if you're batting with a batsman and you play a reckless shot to get out, you're going to get your backside kick. Yeah. But if you're batting with the tail, so I, I batted predominantly number nine. Yeah. If you're batting with 10 and 11, play as many shots as you can, get as many runs quickly as you can because we haven't got that much time. Yeah. But don't throw your wicket away if you're batting with a batsman. So probably through the test career, um, I was used as night watchman and I, I used to pride myself either as night watchman or batting down a list, partnerships with guys that batted. So yeah. to, to bat with David Boone, to bat with Alan Border, to bat with... You know, Mark Taylor at different times to bat with these guys and and try and forge a partnership. You, know, you look back and you know, did it did it on a couple of occasions and, and Steve War um, a couple of times batting with him and and putting on 150 where he made 120 of them. So the things like that, you, you look back and say, well, I, I reckon I did what I was expected to do. And you just said before me about you have a you know your role changes at, at different times, and in that role you said my role is to make sure he keeps batting and I have to stay here. Yeah, uh, yeah. exactly right, fantastic. And and just on that, then you became a selector later on. Um, yeah, so to, well, I think everyone wants to stay involved. So whether you go into coaching, um, you know, there's a pathway into umpiring now. Uh, you go into journalism. I, I, I was. When I got out of the game, um, I was doing a, a lot of coaching behind the scenes with the, the Vic under-19s and the, uh, the VIS squad, so the Victorian Institute of Sports squad, uh, and that was mainly the younger blokes. So I never really stepped away from the game. And then uh, 2005, I, I went in and applied for a Victorian um, job. Um, so There's a couple of um, selector roles uh, came up, and I actually thought Ray Bright was going to get the na national job. So I just sort of get dip my toe in here and, and see see what it was like. And then applied to the Victorian one, got a phone call from Cricket Australia. Would you be interested? Oh, hell yeah. 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 So I think like a player, if, if you're fair thinking about what you do, you want to do it at the highest level. So yeah. as a selector, to be involved with the Australian side, I would have loved to have been involved with the Victorian side, but to be involved with the Australian side, um, mate, it's a 24-hour job. 24-hour-a-day um, job. And the big thing is, doesn't matter who you select, not everyone's going to be happy. No, exactly right. So, yeah. and, and you know that just at, at Coburg, Phil, when, you, when you're selecting team, as soon, like, you can, and that was the thing, what, and the big question when I was selecting was, why isn't Brad Hodge in the team? Well, we can only pick 11. Yes. So, you, you can't fit, you can't fit 15 into 11. And someone's got to miss out. And, Mate, uh, it doesn't matter what level that you play. Um, the higher the level, obviously, the more exposure and the more people follow. But I reckon, Phil, you would have had some headaches at times where you come down to two players and you just think, I want to pick them both, but yeah. you can't do it. And then the best explanation, the best explanation you can give is, you know, when a player says, why, why don't I pick? I said, well, team balance. 
Now, if you're in a team, you don't care about team balance. <laughs> if you're not in the team, no one can explain what team balance is. <laughs> Would that be fair to say? Yeah, yeah. Well, we played in the 89... We, I coached Kobe to the 89 Premiership at Windy Hill, and the mother of one of the players came up to me afterwards. The bloke actually got picked in the side, and she said, you ruined my son's career. He's been far too much time on the interchange today. <laughs> I was thinking, and that's the sort of length that, oh. you know, people would go to to complain. And I said, he's just played in two premierships. Yeah. Not good enough. Yeah, yeah it's amazing. You can never please all. But I've always said very simply in any sport, saying football, and now it's 22 and so on, if, if, if you're saying... Uh, it's not who I'm going to play, but who am I going to leave out? Yes. You know you've got a good side. Oh, you know? that's, that's, that's what I said of the strength of the Australian side. When I was selecting, the strength wasn't who was in the team. The strength was who, who wasn't getting picked. Yeah, yeah. we, we'd go on a, on a tour. And, you know, when, we went, when, when you play England, like, you're thinking, they're thinking about, well, we're not sure who we're going to pick because... And we're, we're sitting there, you're, you're sitting there with Trevor Hone, Andrew Hildridge, David Byrne, and we've got 20 names in front of us. And you're thinking, who are we going to leave out? Yeah. Like every, everyone deserves to play. Yeah. And as a selector, you've got to make some tough decisions. And, you know, it doesn't matter what you do. If, if you pick uh, Michael Hussey, Everyone from New South Wales, South Australia, Queensland, Victoria, Tassie going to hate you. But everyone in West Australia loves you. If you, if you drop Matthew Hayden, like everyone in Queensland hates you, but everyone around, like New South Wales, if Phil Jackson, they, they love you. So there's, like I said, there's no pleasing anyone. Um, you go into, into a selection meeting um, with um, no, no hindsight, um, no speculation about what's going to happen in, in the future. Um, and, and the big one is you, you can't afford to show any sympathy. If a bloke needs to be dropped, you've got to drop him. Mm, yeah. Now, talking about being unpopular, mate, uh, Phil, you went into politics. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, you know, it, it's funny, Simon, because at the 88 grand final, Bob Hawke was in the rooms. He's the, prim, he's the Prime Minister of yes. Australia. He's in the rooms before the game as I talk to the players. After the game... He came back into the rooms, and you know what he's like, Merv. He loves winners, and we've got the Premiership <laughs> Cup, and he's all in the Yeah, yeah, Phil, that was great. Yeah, yeah. And then he says to me, you know what he said? That speech you gave before the game, Phil, that was so good. We should pre-select you for the Labor Party. Well, <laughs> lo and behold, lo and behold, what's at 89, three years later, I win his seat. As an independent, now this is a true story. He actually said it, and of course I did win it. And um, I went into politics, and I had four years in the federal parliament. It was amazing. I was there with Paul Keating as prime minister. So I got to see Keating in larger than life, you know, up close and personal. And Merv, he would have been a great sledger in a cricket yeah. match. He was phenomenal. God, he could give it to the opposition. So, yeah, and I used to laugh with people and say, uh, gee, I thought down at Port Melbourne with the painters and dockers was tough, but it couldn't hold a card to the life of politics and the dirty deals, you know. But it was good fun. That's good. Now, uh, just to, again, from sport to politics, um, Merv, um, I'm a celebrity, get me out of here. That was a big shift from sport, though. Um, the, me the media personality. Um, huge, huge shift. And it's an, everyone said, you know, how did it go? What was it like? Um, was it that tough? Well, 
a couple hours a day it was tough, but virtually for 22 hours a day, you're doing absolutely nothing. Yeah. So I was fine fan for this isolation in Melbourne, basically. Um, but, yeah, you imagine going on a, a camping trip for six weeks with 15 people you don't know. Yeah. And different backgrounds, different ages. So everyone's going to have sort of different beliefs and different thoughts and different opinions on things. But it was a really, really good um, experience, to be honest, um, to, to get out. The only, the only thing I really missed was, like, we're in South Africa, um, there for six weeks with no contact with the family. Yeah. That's, that's the only thing that I missed. But um, the, the experience itself, and uh, the 10 Network really looked after us in the fact that if, if you're feeling a bit crook, if you got injured, if you, they, they wanted you to be at your best all the time. So they, they didn't leave you stranded. And, and even coming out of it, you, you sort of sit down. And uh, my understanding is a couple came out of it feeling a little bit down. So they had psychologists working yeah. with you to, to see if they could help you. But, mate, it was a, it was a great experience. Um, I'm, I'm not a reality TV person watcher, but yeah. to be involved in it, um, was good. And having said that, if there's a reality sh show with someone I know on it, you watch it to see how, you, how it goes. Yeah. Well, that's, I was going to say, D, I um, watched it when you were on it, mate, because I, you know, I know you and of course Dermy was on. So I had to watch it then as well. You could yeah. just to see how, how they cope. And I'm not a reality TV person, but yeah, you're right. When there's someone there, you've got to check. Yeah. Like, well, like, like somebody in, this in, in the sports team, you might not be watching baseball, but all of a sudden you know yeah. somebody in the side or whatever, so you do. Yeah. yeah. Well, I watched, I enjoyed the Favola Shane Warne one. And then yeah. when um, Dane Swan went on there, to, yeah, watch, right. yeah, to yeah. watch Swan just sit back and just stir the pot and just watch it boil, he just sat there and thought he would have been ideal in the Australian cricket team. Yeah. We would have loved him because that's exactly what you're doing. I suppose football, you, you get together, it's before the game, at training, um, it's a high intensity, sort of short duration sort of a sport. With cricket, Bear in mind, you've got five days of test match, four days of a shield match. There's a lot of downtime. You're spending a lot of time in the rooms together. You get to know each other very well, and you yeah. get to know very quickly what pisses someone off. Yeah. And if you can take full advantage of that, that's, that's just gold. Yeah, that's one of the things I learned in sport that everybody's going to have a go at you and you're going to have a go back at them and keep it even. You know? Yes. <laughs> now, now, just while I struggle there, um, highlight. 10 wickets in one in one test match. Now, that must be... Is that a highlight? Uh, yeah, yes and no. Um, well, you, you look back at it, because we lost the test match by about 280 runs, yeah. it, it was a bit of a high victory. But for me, the positive was uh, those those wickets in a test match against West Indies, who were the best team. Yeah. And as a sportsman, all you want to do is, is compete well against good opposition. Um, but at, at the end of it, um, we we lost the test match, so it seemed like a bit of bit of a hollow yeah. performance for me. The the highlight um, uh, of my career was nineteen eighty nine Ashes Tour, and then ninety three, not too far behind it, but um, eighty nine to go over to England um, with a side that was not rated at all um, and given no chance to win um, to to win that series um, four nil to. Have retained the Ashes or won the Ashes back, yep. um, regained the Ashes the first time since Sir Donald Bradman's side. Like you, you hold that, I hold that pretty close yeah. to my heart, to be honest. And that's a pretty the, good one, isn't it? Yeah. yeah, the guys that went on that '89 tour and then backed it up in '93. There's 
I think there was about maybe 12 or 13 guys went on both tours. But the the mateship, the friendships that you got now, you might see each other for four or five years, but, but when you catch up, it's yeah. like yesterday. So yeah. guys like Michael Leder and Tom Moody, um, Wayne Holdsworth and you know, Brendan Julian, Damien Martin, these guys, Matthew Hayden, when you when you see each other, it's just like happy days. How how good was it? And and you go from there. But um, yeah, special bond when you play sport. But when you tour with someone, you're with with each other in each other's pocket for four and a half months. You you do form a very strong bond. Yeah, exactly right, mate. No, it's good, good stuff. And now now, Phil, I just wanted to go back to your your sister Vicky. You've been a you've been an advocate, a great advocate. And we were going to do this year. We were going to do the Coburg Essendon. VFL game and have have a special game, but you've sort of led the way in that. For you know, from from all the old blokes and bluster, and it, she'll be right. But you've been somebody who's actually pushed that because of that situation. Do you see yourself still still continuing to do that? Yeah. Um, look, it's it's a it's a sporting story as well. Given we now have Vicky Cleary Day, that's really yes. significant. Um, when I wind the clock back, I think, you know, how, how, how amazing that I played my 200th game at Coburg in 1987 on June 6th, I think it was. Vicky was with me that day. She came to the game. She came up after the game to the celebration and Merv talking about the partying, you know, and the memories. And, you can, and it's so important when you catch up with blokes years later. It's a wonderful experience. I can wind the clock back to that night and my sister bringing a cake out. And I've written about this and talked about it. Cake with candles. And she leaned over. She was 25 and she blew the candles out with me. That was my sister, Vicky. She was a great athlete. She could play sport. She was terrific. And we lost her about 11 weeks later. I went to court. The courtroom showed me that we had laws that were discriminatory towards women. And as blokes, you know, of our vintage, we've got to reflect on the past and about relationships between men and women. And too much of it in the past has not been good. And we can do better than that. And so Vicky is my inspiration. And she was an inspiration for the premierships. And so her memory goes on. And we love her. And uh, she's a beautiful character in my consciousness. So, yeah, it's not heroics on my part. It's just what a brother should do. And I do do, and I'm I'm also privileged that in, along the way I've met so many great men, you know, who yeah. want to talk about the question and are saying, "Look, we'll be with you." I've spoken to Paul Ruse, Dermot Brerett, and so many people about it, and uh, it's a challenge for all of us. I mean, yeah. 60 women a year get murdered, you know, by men in their life during separation, so it's a challenge for us. Yeah, but now it's good. It's good. My you know, of course, I've got a wife. I've got two. Uh two daughters. So for someone like you to keep pushing that has been fantastic. That's yeah, great, well, that's right? what I have and, to and, do. And, and that's, the, that's the thing with both of you. And this is, I suppose, part of that leadership thing I'm interested in is that you are, you are media, you're in the media, you're well-known personality. So standing up and making statements about whatever that's important to you um, is really important. And, and I, you know, well, yeah, uh, and coincidentally, Merv's wife, Sue, knows my sister yes. and they were together. And I've got a feeling they were together on the day of Vicky's murder, I think, or if not around that time yeah. in a work, workplace. So, so we go back in time and there's a connectedness and, and we should uh, reflect on that. But, um, you know, uh, anyway, it's, it's been fantastic to talk. Could I just say one other little story? Merv talking about those magical moments and, you know, who could match 
uh, cricket for the international sphere mm. and, and uh, Boxing Day. But one little memory for me is Coburg 1976 playing Dandenong, who were a big side, you know, famous, <laughs> weren't they? Paddy Flaherty, Frosty Miller, Frosty Miller. Eddie Frosty Miller, Miller, big name. Big <laughs> yeah, Big Eddie Milai was legendary. Anyway, yes. it's a TV game. Phil Gibbs is calling. It's big audience. I've kicked three goals to three-quarter time. Eddie Milai walks past me. These were the days when you said bad things. And he called me. He said, as for you, you little wog, you won't get a kick in the last quarter. And I thought, you know, Wog wasn't so bad. I mean, yeah. and we don't, we frown on racist abuse and we know how shocking it is. But anyway, Murph, I kicked four in the last quarter. <laughs> the time I got the seventh, Simon, I said, how's the little Wog going now, Eddie? I think that's seven. Anyway, Eddie went, oh, fuck off, you know. And I just think that day, that game is just never going to go away. I'd love the vision if there's someone out there who's got oh, the vision. I need it. Oh. I want to brag about it. It's there. I kick seven. Biggest game for me. But funny as Phil was talking about that, Simon, I, I've got to tell you about a day. Yes. 1978, second division, Frankston play Werribee. It's uh, end of July, so coming out the finals time. Werribee have won oh, yeah. one game. We're no chance. Everyone knows yeah. Frankston are going to win the flag. <laughs> okay. So Thursday night, uh, the team's picked. We go into the committee room. Our coach, Les Joslin, lies to us for about an hour and a half hour. We're going to beat Frankston on the weekend. Like, we know we've got no chance. We go out to Frankston. As it turns out, three-quarter time, we're a goal up. And we're kicking home with about a five-goal win. Okay. So, first bounce, ball comes out at centre. Big Merv takes a grab in the forward pocket, kicks a goal. Now, I start thinking about headlines in the local paper, the Werribee Banner. Yes. Like Hughes, Hughes kicks five in last quarter blitz. Right? <laughs> We lost that game by 15 goals. <laughs> they, put that, they put it in the top gear, mate. We, they kicked 15-12 <laughs> in the last quarter. We were two goals up <laughs> with, what, 24 minutes to play. Oh, We've lost God. by 15, and they went on and won the premiership. We all knew they were going to. Yeah, so. Oh, so... Brings back some great memories, doesn't it, Bill? Oh, <laughs> yeah, it does. There's just little games and, and just reunions, Simon, and we all know this. Isn't it funny when you do have the reunions and everyone puts a little piece in the jigsaw puzzle and everyone can remember something that you don't remember? Yes. And this beautiful picture emerges. I love those moments, you know, where it's storytelling. It's just a, it's just a beautiful part of the, the sporting culture and, and team games. Look, gentlemen... Gentlemen, thank you very much. Now we have come to the end of the end of this show. We could get, we could go on for another couple of hours. It's fantastic. It's just fantastic. Love the old stories. Love uh, and you know, love. Well, I said, love your personalities. You know, your big personalities, which is really important in, in such a situation we're in. That you keep positive. You keep uh, you keep humorous, and you, you 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 keep up. So thank you very much for your time, guys. Thanks for the stories, and hopefully we can do it again another time. So uh, that'd be a great time. Uh, thank you, Merv Hughes, Phil Cleary. Thank you very much.